All right, welcome back to the Outdoor Adventures podcast. I've got three West Slope boys in the room, Dylan Williams, John Gaderos, and a new guest, Dakota. And I don't know Dakota's last name, but with a name like Dakota, automatically at age seven, you got to have some chest hair. I mean, that is a good name. That's a name just built for the outdoors in my mind. Other than Dakota Fanning, probably messed that up a little bit, but she was a child star for you young guys <laughs> that maybe don't know. Um, but today we're going to talk a little bit about archery hunting and talk about the difference in black-tailed deer that we have around here and over on the coast. And we'll just see where the conversation goes. So I'm going to turn it over to Dylan. Yeah, so, uh, well, Johnny was the first one out of the group from, well, for us all to kind of get a bow other than Dakota, but we weren't around each other yet at that point. But so when John got into bow hunting, it was 2016, 2015, probably. Um, and then after John got a bow at first, I was like, Oh, that's stupid. Why do we want to do that? We have a rifle for a reason. And then once I was around him and he was shooting more and stuff, I went, okay, well, looks like I'm getting a bow. And like I was saying on episode four, I think, Right after John got it, it was probably a week or two later, I went out and bought a bow. But um, then we fell in love with it just instantly, shooting all the time. It was a competition between him and I. Then um, that we then we went over east for the very first time. We were elk and deer hunting. And let me tell you, the we put so much time into the practice that when you're actually shooting at one of those deer for the first time, it was unbelievable the amount of buck fever that i personally got and it turned into a lot of misses a lot of learned lessons and so many fun stocks but yeah that's kind of how i got into it was because of john and then uh fast forward a couple years we started hunting over back over here in the valley in the late season and then in the early season we would go back over east and just over time kind of became very comfortable in that way of hunting and starting to learn more. Um, my personal success was not very great, but I loved the challenge. Yeah. You were the first one to bring archery hunting to our family. And I know when you were first doing it, I was like, it was so foreign to all of us. We'd never done it. I mean, we'd all seen it on TV and we probably knew some archery hunters, but had never actually done it. And I went with you guys on my first trip and I, Kyler is the one that got talked me into getting a bow because he always archery hunts elk over on the coast. And, you know, I just decided to do it one day. And I'll tell you, one of the things I really like is just the practice. You know, I, I think I have 12 arrows at any given time and I'll get home and I'll shoot, you know, two groups of six and usually at about 60 yards after you get, you know, I started a little closer earlier in the season and, and then I build up to about 60 and then, um, it's just kind of nice. It's kind of therapeutic and it's fun to do and it doesn't take that much time. And yeah, yeah I really enjoyed it. Well, it's hard though. Like even just practicing, it's like I was saying, it's such a challenge just to get good at that. It takes a lot of time to just get comfortable pulling that bow back, getting set and, releasing an arrow and hitting the spot you want to hit. Yeah. What I didn't realize about my bow is when I first bought it, you know, I was brand new to archery hunting. They set me up at 55 pounds and I didn't realize that I was that light. And then over East this year, we kept seeing these bucks like 90 yards, hundred yards. There was no way I was going to be able to take a shot with my bow as I'd only practiced out to about 70. So I went to bow rack and got it 
tuned up and said, Hey, I want to go out to a hundred yards if I should, I need to, cause I'm really more focused on hunting deer on the East side. And, uh, so they took me up to that 70 pounds and that's a whole different game. And man, that arrow flies a whole lot faster. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be able to watch my arch a little bit. Now that thing is, is flying. That used to be a big thing too, is like when you got your first bow and I had just got my new bow, just the difference. Cause you still had that 55 pound one. Yeah. And I had mine and it was night and day difference. Mine was, you know, flat shooting where his, like you could have beat the, yeah, you could have started a timer on your watch and watch that thing land. Yeah. Um, but Johnny, when you got into it, what was the deciding factor for you in getting a bow? I mean, I'm sure I probably knew this answer at one point in time, but I don't anymore. Um, and then for you, what was your best experience with bow hunting? I think like the whole reason that I got into it was just something new. I mean, just a different hunting season. So it kind of spanned it out longer in the year. You got more time to do it. And so I got one for, I think I got it for Christmas. One year, my parents bought me one. And then probably that greatest experience was when we went on that two-week trip. Yeah. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. It's tough to beat. I kind of messed up. I mean, not messed up, but I shot my buck the first day we were there. Yeah. And so then the rest of the hunt, it was just Dylan. Yeah. And there was a lot of trial and error that we had there. <laughs> yeah. A lot of misses. Um, well, then that too, like John shot a beautiful fork and horn opening that, well, that first day that we were there. And then every day after that, man, I passed up so many bucks. Yeah. And, uh, that second morning I had a chance at this really nice four point. It was probably walked right to me at 40 yards. And I had, I was breathing so hard. My heart was pumping so fast that that deer 100% without a doubt knew exactly what was going on. And he spooked out to probably 60 and I thought I made a good adjustment for it. And unfortunately missed right underneath him. And I was sick. I was sick from that point on. I just realized how hard this thing really was. And yeah, it was just nonstop over and over. Then close to maybe three days left into being there, you guys finally got me on another one and made it happen. But yeah, it made for a long trip. Yeah, it did. What's crazy is when you're shooting at a target uh, for archery, it's you can be so comfortable where it's like, man, I'm just going to, you know, three bullseyes in a row or whatever. Like you can get really comfortable where you're feeling like, man, I got this, you know, and then out in the field, the difference of a twig in front of you or that animal just turns a little bit in the wrong direction and you misjudge a situation or you arrange it wrong like I did my first year, you know, any of those types of things. And it's a difference between, you know, field dressing an animal and still pursuing. So Yeah. That was the crazy thing too. When we first started, we had no range finder. So we passed yeah. up so many deer just because we're like, no, that's that's way too far. There's no way we can hit that with a bow. And then we go back there later after we get a rangefinder, like, oh, that deer was actually only 40 yards away from us, so it would have been no problem. But it was for, like, the first at least year or two yeah. we had no rangefinder. So we didn't – I mean, we didn't kill anything those years. But Yeah, it's not I think really it possible. Was two years for you, my first year, that we didn't have the rangefinder. And we had – this one day I remember we were hunting in the valley, walked in past this gate, 
and we had this one beautiful, nice, I think it was a three by three by two. And it was a big, big old buck and it bedded down in front of us no farther than 40 yards, but in our head, man, that's 120, you know? And I mean, we were in high school. We didn't have, we just didn't have enough money to go out, get a range finder and stuff. And then I bet we saw five bucks that were within 40 yards. And we just, we were so underprepared that we had no idea, no chance. Didn't even take a shot. Uh -uh. Just looked at him. Yeah. John tried to get closer on that one. The buck was bedded in this big open field. And John just is walking in a straight line right for it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with appreciating wildlife, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Should have at least took some pictures. Well, let's let's talk to Dakota a little bit. So Dakota, you've been hunting uh archery hunting longer than the rest of us. So tell us how you got started and just give us some of just tell us about the things that you've seen in the archery world. Yeah, so I was um I was eleven when I got my first bow. Um I didn't start archery hunting until I was 12, actually. I practiced for a full year before I actually bought an archery tag. But the main reason that led up to me wanting to get a bow was that, um, you know, I was young, I was still in school, and I couldn't take the time off of school every year to go, you know, on rifle hunting trips and whatnot. So I figured if I got a, you know, bow and archery hunted, then, you know, I would have all those weekends at home. And so that's kind of what got me started. Um, and it wasn't for the first four years, not three years, until I actually killed my first deer. Um, I think I was 15 when I killed my first deer with a bow. So, How long of a shot on that one? 40 yards, yeah. Then I also wanted to touch it, because then you started doing competition shoots. Was that around the same time you got your bow, or was that? I started competing before, um, before I ever killed my first deer. It was probably, I started competing the year that I got my bow, um, I actually got my bow from the archery hut and, um, signed up for their 4-H program. And that was, um, Monday nights. I can't remember what time it was. Um, just in the little indoor range there, started doing pretty good with that. And then started going to 3D shoots and that was a whole different world. Um, how do you think like the competing helped you? Like, do you think it helped you a lot more for those, you know, hunting shots, or do you think it's kind of different? I think that um, as far as, like, if you're in a shoot-off with somebody, you're definitely super nervous. But as far as preparing yourself to harvest an animal, I don't think there's anything that can prepare you for that, except that specifically. Right. When you're traveling everywhere, like, you went to Vegas a couple times, didn't you, for this? Yeah, I um, I shot in Vegas. I shot in Redding, California. Um, quite a few different places. So. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then, Sam, when you started hunting, well, when you started getting into bow hunting, it was so much fun when we all went over there for the first time. And just seeing it's so different, especially because we hunt that unit with our rifle whenever we get the chance. But that transition to bow, I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit more, how different that was for you getting over there and having to pursue those animals in a whole different way. Well, yeah, the the first time we see a group of deer and they'd run right out in front of us and there was a, a smaller buck in there and I really didn't want to shoot that buck, but I was like, well, there's an opportunity. I should probably take a shot, but they were on the run and you guys were all watching me prepare to take this shot at a running animal with a bow and yeah, it didn't, let's just say I lost an arrow on that one. Yeah. And, uh, well, we were all, <laughs> we were all saying, wait till it gets to the other side, it'll stop. And then. Nope. 
whoop, yeah. 40 yards behind it. Yeah. But it was, what I liked was, okay, it's a new time of year. Yeah, it's hotter. I mean, yeah. if you're hunting typically in August, um, and I, we talked about the new seasons. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but um, it was really warm, lots of bees, not a lot of water. So a lot of guys just kind of camp out at a watering hole. And I'd heard stories from my other friends that archery hunt, and they always would kill nice, typically bull elk, you know, over east. So they'd kill an elk, and um, sometimes they'd kill deer, but m- most of them were elk hunters. So I don't know. Our family's always been focused on deer, I think. And so the archery was just an extension of what what we've always been doing. And I, what I like about it, so when I started and when you guys started, you, it was a long season, and you could hunt east side and west side, which was really nice. Now it's gone to a draw system where you got to pick one or the other. What's funny, when I had um, my dad and your grandpa and your uncle, our uncle on here um, last week, they were telling me about, in the old days, you could get a rifle tag that covered the whole state, so you could hunt east side, didn't get anything on the east side. You st- they hunted their whole way home on the west side. Well, then if you were unsuccessful in your rifle tag, then you could go buy an archery tag. So it was, it was a whole different world. So, it, you know, obviously we've all seen some change in our time and go into this draw system. What I like about it last year, I put in for the main rifle tag that we usually put in for, but I put in for the archery tag as my second choice. I was able to still draw that tag, go over there with my brother. And like I've mentioned before on the show, we saw 18 different bucks. I mean, and we were like one of four people over there that's what was really cool it was like you didn't that's one of the things i kind of don't like about rifle season is there's so many other hunters you know no matter what unit you're in there's a lot of people you know even though these units are limited in tags there's still only so many places where the deer are and people kind of know that and you know you're dealing with a lot more people and i'm never nervous about taking an arrow during archery season but during rifle hunting uh, you know, there's been some times where people are shooting pretty close to you and you're, you're going, okay, this, uh, this is getting a little sketchy, yeah. you know, get down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well then like, well, you're talking about drawing it the second choice. I mean, granted you don't get to come back and hunt over on the West side for the late season, but you don't lose any of your preference points if you draw it that way, which is a very cool deal. Um, but you definitely got to put the time in if you're gonna if you're gonna go over there early season because that's your deer tag. So, um, and it is hot. You really got to spend your time and hunt hard. Yeah, and we've we've mostly focused on the east side, but Dakota, you've focused on the west side more. Some coastal deer and some valley deer, and so talk about that a little bit. Blacktail hunting. Um. Yeah, it's it's a whole different ball game. I actually killed my first buck over east archery hunting um and that was a fork at horn right off of a gravel road um blacktail is not that way at all it's completely different um and i learned that early on um had a lot of unsuccessful years before i started actually um being able to even get a shot off on a deer um so are you um, spot and stock or are you sitting somewhere where you on a deer path or a game trail where you know deer are going to come through? How, what's your strategy when you're blacktail hunting? Um, specifically for the late season during the rut, um, I like to hunt on the ground and I like to move locations and set myself up for, you know, in a good area and rattle. That's my favorite. Um, it's, it's hard for me to sit in a tree stand or a ground line for extended periods of time because I keep, 
I keep telling myself, oh, the deer over here. Oh, they're over here. They're doing this. They're doing that. Um, and so, you know, just boots on the ground, you know, moving. But that can also, that can also um, come to haunt you in a way as well because there's so many times where you say, oh, well, if I was in a tree stand, if I was in a ground blind, that deer would have never, never have seen me or heard me or, you know, I would have never spooked it or, you know, there's always the what ifs, you know, so. Yeah, my friends, Joe and Donna, which I'm going to have them come on the show, but they, um, they've been hunting the west side and the east side for a long time. And they started rifle hunting in tree stands and the self-climbing style. And they would sit there like all day on the edge of, you know, regrowth or whatever. And they'd see other hunters pushing deer, you know, and just chasing deer. And they, they kill big bucks every year, just being patient and knowing where, I mean, you got to do some scouting and knowing where the animals are going to be, but now they've switched to archery for quite a while and they hunt both sides and very successful by being patient. I think that's a struggle for a lot of us. I'm, I'm that same way where it's, I like to, number one, I like to get after it and kind of walk around and get the exercise and you're seeing more country and seeing new things. It's really hard to be patient. You know, you sit down and those first 15 minutes feel like an hour and a half, you know? Oh yeah. Well, even like that hunting trip that me and Kyler did and we walked in and we saw eight, nine bucks or whatever it was and that one giant one. We could have done that so many different ways and probably would have killed one of those deer. But we were just, man, it looked like freaking you're cooking a bag of popcorn. They're just popping everywhere. And just what we were just walking, we were pushing them. They would get into the trees and we'd walk away. Then they'd come back out. And then it was nonstop like that. And I think we got, when we talked about this so many times of going back in there and setting a tree stand up, which we've never done, probably never will. But uh, that's something that I think as far as just hunting over here is a little different. There's just better techniques. It's so different than Eastern Oregon. And I think we were trying to play it the exact same way, but the ground is so different. The, the cover for these deer are different. And a lot of times in these clear cuts, the grass is so tall, you can't see the deer. So that was a big one for us. Like, I think it was, I was with you. We were walking up there and I think it was you walking and you walked down over the top of the ridge and there's a doe, like, 10 feet in front of you and it just it was bedded down and it didn't stand up john was standing on top of the log it was under and then john went to go hop over the top of it and it stood up right in front of him took off but just those little things they can hide so much easier i feel like yeah is this west side take still uh buck or doe yeah i think so it is yeah. yeah 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 so that is the nice part about that archery tag is is, you know, if you can get close enough to take a shot, it doesn't really matter the gender. Yeah. And then you hunt a lot of, like, your grandpa's place. You know, you got a lot of private land. Yeah. So what, for you, you've hunted, obviously, public and stuff. What is the main difference that you've noticed between hunting the public side and private? Um, for sure, the amount of people. Um, yeah. And also the amount of deer, you know. Um uh, I spent quite a bit of time on public land this last year and did not have very good success at all. And, um, the first day of second season archery, um, I hunted public land with a buddy of mine, didn't see a single deer, probably saw 20, 30 other hunters. And, um, we wrapped it up pretty early around probably nine or 10 that morning. 
went to my grandparents' house, um, walked to one of the main spots that I always sit and rattle at, got my bow set up, got an arrow knocked, um, you know, started hit, hitting the horns together, and within 45 seconds, a bucket came in behind me, you know. That's the main difference. Oh, yeah. But a lot, a lot of people don't get that, you know. That, that's, you know, I'm very privileged for that, so. Yeah. Yeah, just way less pressure. So let's talk about the rattling a little bit and go a little deeper on that. Uh, how often are you rattling? Just kind of give us an idea of your technique on that, because I've never tried to rattle in a deer before. Do you have all the scents on too, like doe and estrus and all that? Uh, yeah, actually I do. Um, normally when I get to a spot that I think there's a deer around in, um, I'll usually rattle once, maybe twice. Um, and I've noticed that if there's a deer in that area, it's going to come in within two or three minutes max usually. And then I might wait 10 or 15 minutes because obviously they're moving around, rattle again. I might give it 10 minutes and then move spots. So I think most people are probably over rattling, I would guess. You know, just thinking about myself, if I'm sitting there, I'm going to be wanting to kind of... Oh, dude, I'm bashing those things together for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely... You get impatient for sure. But usually, and and that's that's what I used to do. I would always over rattle and stay in the same areas and then then nothing would come in. So then I just started moving spots. So if I got impatient, I just knew there probably wasn't a buck around. And then I'd move two, three, four hundred yards away, set up, rattle again. Yeah. And are you doing scent blocker, doe and asterisk? Are you doing any of those type of things? Both, yeah. Okay. I don't know if it makes much of a difference, but I, I still use those tactics for sure. Hmm. You ever then, get, go ahead. You ever get worried that, you know, you have that doe and estrus on and, like, Buck's just going to come after you? No, never. No. I, I would hope so. <laughs> you would hope I so. wish for that to happen, <laughs> but no. Uh and then, like, the time of year for late season, obviously, this year's pushed back a week. Do you think that's going to affect this west side for bow hunters at all? Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be a big advantage to rifle hunters because normally, yeah. towards the end of the rifle season, things start getting heated up, and now that's, you know, even later in the year. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, because you and I have been talking – and as for people who don't know, this is my brother-in-law. So um, I'm very close with Dakota. But uh, we were talking about a story the other day. You you were hunting in a tree stand and you messed up on – you got out of it or something and then a buck came in. Or No, that's actually the same buck I was just talking about the first day of, of late season. Um, when I when I got to that, that specific spot around, I don't know, 11 or noon, um, that's one of my main locations that I always start and rattle at. Um, it's about halfway up the property, and every time I've called in a buck from that area, they've came in from one of three locations down below me. I've never had a, a buck come in behind me, ever. Oh, I see what you're saying. And that specific spot is right next to my tree stand, maybe 20 or 30 yards away. But the underbrush has grown up so much that unless you're on the ground, it's hard if you're in the tree stand to get those shooting gotcha. lanes. Um, there's a lot of, you know maple trees in that area and you know like viney maple so from above it's really hard gotcha now normally in that specific spot if i was going to hunt in the tree stand it would be from the open timber behind me but usually i don't see deer from from behind me so that that is the buck that i messed up on and i was on the ground hoping he was going to come in from below and then i heard him behind me and he had seen me and by the time i picked up my bow drew back turned around it was the 
you know, old classic. Yeah. yeah. Bounding away. Um, and then I'd hate to bring this one up, but that six by four or six by five yeah. or whatever up there. Yeah. Um, you had a couple run-ins with him. Yeah. Three, three different run-ins. Yeah. Three, three different run-ins, three years in a row. And so what was the most heartbreaking one out of those three? Oh man. Cause, All of them? <laughs> well, Cause one of them wasn't even in bow season, wasn't it? Uh, he was yeah, in Velvet, yeah, but I, I wouldn't, can, I wouldn't count that as a, you know, hunting encounter, but, um, but yeah, I did see him in August one time as well in full velvet. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so the first year that I saw that buck would have been, I guess probably 2019. Um, and it was probably within a hundred yards of the story I just told about the other buck. Um, and that was within the first week of second season archery. Um, walked up there and I just seen the gray, you know, his, his face and his neck was just gray coming through the open timber and I, he was chasing a doe. And, uh, so I tried to get to kind of an advantage point and, um, it didn't really work out because he was just chasing her in circles, you know? And there was one time specifically he was walking by this big fir tree, probably, I don't know, three foot in diameter. And so, and that was right at, I think I ranged at like 43 yards or something like that, that tree. So I figured he'd be about 45. And so I drew my bow back. And right when he got at that tree, I did, you know, the classic to stop him. And sure enough, he stopped right behind the tree. <laughs> so I had, you know, antlers on one side, rear on the other. And as soon as he started moving again, he was hot on that doe. Um, but I knew that buck was something special when I, when I had first seen him. It looked yeah. like a big four, maybe with some extra, but it was, you know, you're so excited in that moment. It's just like, this yeah. buck is huge, yeah. you know? Yeah, Sam, we're going to have to send you some pictures so you can post that one. Yeah, that would be cool. But see, that's that's one thing that I've noticed, you know, like when you see pictures of 130, 135-inch blacktail, you know, it's cool, you know? But when you see one in person, it, it looks like a 180, you know? Dude. Because it, it, they, they don't come very often. It, yeah, it's a big buck. Yeah. All right, um... So this is coastal blacktail? No, this is valley. Valley blacktail? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the differences between a valley blacktail and a coastal blacktail, Dakota. I haven't done much coastal blacktail hunting. Um, I spent a little bit of time last year doing it, and I didn't see very many deer at all. Um, I'm mainly used to the valley deer. But the, the, you know, the Cascade mountain range bucks, I know a little bit about them, and they're way different. You know, they migrate they're at high elevations and you know, once the snow level comes up, they migrate. Mm. Whereas our, our Valley bucks are completely homebodies. You know, that, that big six by four or five, whatever it is now, it's tough to say. Every time I've seen that deer has been within 400 yards of the last location. Always. Yeah. Whereas, you know, those cascade bucks, you might not see the same buck twice. You know. Oh yeah. Well, there's a lot of. I feel like up there too on the, the ca- Cascade Range, those deer. I mean, that's where we primarily hunt a lot of the time. We're up there. Um, yeah, like Dakota's saying, good luck finding an, the one again. Yeah. Because there's so many areas that people haven't been up there. It's still all national forest pretty much, and it's gnarly ground. It's hard to get around in. 
And once that snow moves in, good luck ever getting back up there, yeah. you know? So you have a small window of opportunity, especially this year with rifle season getting pushed back. That even shortens your window. But I'd imagine that rut activity up there will probably pick up a little bit sooner earlier this year, you know? Yeah, whereas that rifle season, you know, in those higher elevations, that's going to be – I've actually been thinking about getting that tech myself specifically should, for man. that reason. Yeah, you should. Um and then Johnny, I was going to ask you a little bit. What, you, what's your biggest difference that you've noticed from blacktail bow hunting and Eastern Oregon? I think just like the the amount of opportunities, I would say, because I mean, you go over there and you could be getting on stocks, you know, a whole bunch of stocks in Eastern Oregon, and having those opportunities to shoot, or you know, at least you know, attempting. Yeah where you come over here and like, it's pretty, like it's tough to one, even, you know, see a buck over here or, you know, have a chance to put on a stock just because of how thick everything is. And just like the behavior of the, the blacktail. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's like night and day difference. Just going over there, everything's more wide open and you just see a whole bunch more deer so you have more opportunities and i mean you can't beat it yeah it's it's a it's a great opportunity i would recommend at least doing it at least one time going over there longer shots though you know versus over here where you if you're if you can be patient i think your odds of getting a closer shot on the west side is probably more likely than on the east side. Well, I don't think, yeah, and like those windows to see a deer, to make those shots longer in eastern Oregon, I don't, like that deer could be the same distance over here away, but you're probably not going to see it, you know, from that 70 to 80 yard range off a road or something, like good luck. And if I struggle with a brush on the east side, the west side, yeah, I mean, that's going to be tough. Well, I'd like to talk to, remember that, um, opportunity I had with those, we didn't know at the time, but there was like seven bucks bedded down, and my my dad spotted them. It was I think it was fifty yards off off on this hill up up on the ridge a little bit, and this one buck was bedded down, and it was a nice buck. I don't okay. remember. I think it was a three, maybe a three point. Yeah, it was really it was nice big. buck. Yeah. And so I pull my bow back, pick up, set the pin right on him, shoot. And I saw my arrow flying and it hit the tiniest little branch you've ever seen in your life and just go straight down and land probably 10 feet short of this deer. And it gets up and all of a sudden you just see all these bucks just stand up everywhere. So I ran up the hill and I go around this log where it was bedded down. And as soon as I get another arrow knocked and I'm all breathing heavy, freaking out, you know, and I turn the corner and there's just, just giant four points standing there looking at me. And I knew I missed that buck in my head and this four point was probably 25 yards. And so I pull back my bow and my, I hear my dad go, don't shoot. You hit that buck. Don't shoot. So I put my bow down. Here comes John. We had Evan with us and my dad and they come, they're starting to meet me up around where this deer was and this buck's still just standing there broadside just watching and then it just finally slowly walked and disappeared and we f- finally find my arrow after it. and i'm just like dude i know i didn't hit it and once i picked that arrow up and it was just bone dry no blood nothing 
uh, we still looked just for, you know, the animal safety and stuff like that. And man, I was so sick after that moment. Yeah. It was such a cool opportunity. But those moments, though, like those misses really teach you a lot. You don't forget them. Yeah. That's for sure. And it's also, I mean, just the opportunity to have on those nice couple bucks like that. I mean, that a lot of guys don't ever get that opportunity. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we did two at least two stocks a day. Like on that two-week trip, we are doing two oh, stocks yeah. a day on big mule deer. And we had a couple really close encounters, another miss on my, my behalf, I think, a couple of those times. Um, and then one time we were, did this big stock and oh, I might already told this, but we were walking down over this ridge and we had, uh, the radios to my dad. And then just the difference of distance that he sees up there to compared to us. He was, yeah, I thought, I think it was Evan or one of you guys had the radio and I could just hear my dad. I'm up in front of him just going, shoot that deer. I remember. Yeah. yeah you yeah. did tell us that story. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just. It's so different. The landscape over there is just wildly different. We talked about that before we got started today, too, about how just the ranging thing, you know, your dad's really good about always going, okay, guys, what range is that log? And so he will have everybody, you know, around put their guests out there. And we're all so different. And then we pull up the range finder and we're like, oh, actually, it's 72 yards. You know, and maybe somebody got close. But unless you actually range something, you really shouldn't be taking a shot. Yeah. Well, my dad's favorite, though, the only range he's ever going to give 60. doesn't matter if that deer's 400 yards away from you. You're getting a 60-yard range out of that guy. Always 60. Yeah. Dakota, um, have you made any changes to your gear with the option for mechanicals in Oregon now? Are you a fixed broadhead guy? Are you a mechanical broadhead guy? Oh, yeah. Um, I regularly change my setup, usually every year. I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, keep my setup the same. And then it's, I go shoot the new line of a bows and then, you know, usually buy a new bow and change my arrow setup. And, um, I've gone, you know, with super light arrows specifically because just like you guys, I used to not have a rangefinder. So to me, shooting as flat and fast as possible was, you know, super crucial. Um, but then you have to risk, you know, not getting, you know, that penetration or those passers. So then I've gone heavy, um, I did change over last year to mechanicals for the first time. Um, I was shooting the two-inch schwackers. Um, I did not shoot a deer last year, but I filled both of my fall turkey tags, and those things are devastating for sure. I um, bet. But um, after I killed my bull, that was with a fixed blade. I didn't want to risk you know, you know, the potential failure of a mechanical. Um, after I killed my bull... Um, I think I'm just going to stick with fixed blades. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to beat them and they virtually can't fail. So, um, I would definitely say that, you know, for the next few years, for sure, I'm at least going to shoot fixed blades and go with a heavier arrow setup because I've had way more success doing that. So, well, then I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I mean, kind of off topic from deer, but, um, for, so you shot that bowl. Is that two years ago now? Yeah. Two years ago. So is that the first bowl you shot with your bow? Yeah, it was my bow specifically, yeah. And that was over east? Yeah, that was in the Emnaha unit in Hell's Canyon. I bet that was a fun time. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, big time. That was that was the hardest hunt I've ever been on, for sure. A lot of country. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, your grandpa wiped you on the floor on that one, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's yeah. tough to keep up with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, until we had the bull on the ground. 
you know, then then he definitely slowed down. <laughs> he can't take those heavy packs like he used to, you know. Did you call that bull in? Or? No. So because of, you know, Dylan's wedding being it's always my fault. <laughs> in the middle of September, um, we had to go very early. We had to go at the beginning of September, and it was still – around 80 degrees most of the days, maybe 85. So there was, there was no rut activity at all. So it was, um, you know, a lot of glassing, you know, finding herds late in the evening, you know, trying to get on them in the morning. But, um, I didn't make a single bugle the whole time. And, um, I didn't, I didn't hear any bugles until the day that we left. We had a big rainstorm the night before. And I think that kickstarted them, but, um, yeah, it was, it was hot and it was dry. And, um, we uh we had this this herd in this specific area, um, and we would try and set up over wallows, um, just to try and catch you know one of those bulls, you know, in the middle of the day or something like that. But um, yeah, there was no there was no red activity going on. And when I when I killed that bull specifically, we had bumped that herd, and um, my grandpa you know he told me he's he's like you know I know exactly where they're gonna be. And I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know. Um, and sure enough, he knew exactly where they were. And when I actually killed that bull, we had bumped into him again. But that spike had turned, and he was going to head downhill. And the rest, of, the rest of the herd went uphill. And, it, you know, I had a shot window there. But it was completely, you know, just scouting, trying to figure out where they're at and, and try and make a move on them without bumping them, you know, without them smelling you or, or whatever. So there was a lot of sitting and waiting and, you know, trying to get close to that herd without, you know, spooking them. But was that a hair tag too? Um, specifically in the Imnaha unit. Yes, it was. Um, it came down to the last day and any elk that was in that herd, I probably would have shot if I would have got, you know, the opportunity to being the last day, but it just so happened to be a bull. So it worked out. And then Sam, to go back to bow hunting in the unit we hunt in, you're saying that, that somebody, you know, hunts elk over there too. And they're always very successful. Yeah. Um, I feel like we don't get that opportunity much. Yeah, we've seen the herd a few times deer season where we hunt, but I really think we're in a deer corridor. It's rare that we bump into that elk herd. I mean, we do see him in there, but wherever he goes, which he hasn't told me yet, but he um, he has a lot more success. I mean, he's in elk every day. Um, he's calling to him and he's getting calls back. Uh, and he uh, he was able to get a bull this year and he's had opportunities every year. So I was supposed to hunt with him towards the end of our trip, but, you know, cell service is so spotty out there that we couldn't really communicate well with each other. And then the day he was going to take us was the day that our camp got ransacked, and so my phone had gotten stolen, so we had no way of communicating with him. But, yeah, so it was kind of a... That's tough. It was a bummer, but we, you know, it was... It's always nice to have friends that know what they're doing more than you do. And so there's going to be opportunity for that down the road. Yeah, we need to get into it, at least with the bow. I mean, why not? Why not just get the tag and go over there? Yeah, and the elk, I mean, that's such a big animal. I mean, you talk about all of us are typically meat hunters in here. We're not we're not trophy hunters, I wouldn't say. And so um, that's a lot of meat. It's a lot of freaking meat to put in the freezer. Um, and then... Johnny, we were talking a little bit about, um, well, so we talked about some of our blacktail experiences together. Yeah. 
uh, do you remember that day you and I walked up our our beautiful, lovely road, and it was pouring down rain. It was raining so hard that we couldn't even pick up our binos and look without them being completely either covered in rainwater or completely fogged up on both ends. And right as the rain stopped, I looked up to my right, and I just saw this deer stand up, and the back start shaking all the water off of its back. And we were scrambling to get our binos as dried as we could, but everything we're wearing soaking wet, so it wasn't working out to our favor. And we look over, and then here comes another deer stands up, another deer stands up, and it was seven, six, seven bucks all together. Oh, yeah. And we looked forever trying to find those deer again. And just like we were saying about how easy it is for them to hide and stuff, within a split second of us making a move and getting to where we couldn't see them anymore, they completely vanished completely vanish and it's just the big difference like say we did have a tree stand or we were already set up sitting down somewhere like we've never done anything like that and i think we would benefit greatly from doing that we know where deer are it's just we never done that extra step into closing that gap and making it to where we're already sitting down ready waiting for them to come we are the worst at sitting in one spot and hunting yeah. we've tried it multiple times and within what like an hour or so we're shooting squirrels or we're making a bunch of noise and laughing and watching videos on our phone and like we just don't give it the time of day we just get i don't know it's tough yeah we just go like we're trying to just see the deer i guess yeah we're out there for nature hikes i think <laughs> is our biggest goal well i think if you guys have patterned some deer and you know what their behaviors, there's enough of us that like to hunt. You know, you go plant some guys in different spots and just say, Hey, don't move. Yeah. Like, I don't want to see you anywhere for three hours. You know, yeah. and like that's, you just got to stick it out and, and try it and maybe you'd get some success that way. I mean, it'd be worth a shot. Yeah. Well, then like for Dakota and I too. So Dakota has six trail cams or something and we went and set them up in this spot that I was talking so greatly of and we were getting all excited. We we're getting bucks on camera and a bunch of deer on camera and stuff. And then hunting season rolls around and there's probably 48 people up there. <laughs> it was a great introduction for that spot for Dakota. I think. Yeah, that was, that was kind of, you know, my first, you know, um, public land experience and I was excited for it until I did it. And I was like, man, yeah, the, but big respect to, public land hunters because it's tough for sure oh yeah the competition and everything like yeah. it's not just you versus the animals it's you versus the other hundreds of people that are going after the same animals and and that definitely changes you know the style of hunting that you're going to do as well too you know hunting on private you know you can virtually do whatever you want but hunting public it's like oh i gotta you know be the first one in there i gotta beat these guys you know and yeah there's always somebody there before you and then you don't want to you know mess with their hunt so you want to set up and wait but then you want to get around and move and yep. it's tough. Well, and I think that's where we got to go further. You know, we got to get into these wilderness hunts where we're in there a little deeper where you might still bump into other hunters because there's always somebody, no matter how far in you think you are, there's, you're still going to probably bump into one or two other hunters. But I can live with one or other two hunters that are willing to put in the work rather than the masses. You know, I think getting away from the masses is what we've got to do. Yeah, well, 
And then I also wanted to ask this, we'll go around the room for this one. Um, the difference, well, not necessarily the difference, but yeah, I guess the differences that you guys like about bow hunting compared to rifle and vice versa for that. Start with you, Sam. Yeah, for me, it's just getting closer to the animal. So it's and the, the challenge of that and different season. This year, we had some stocks that were just, I'll never forget them. I mean, just th- these groups of deer. And it, I mean, these stocks would go on for like a couple hours, just pursuing deer and trying to get closer and bumping them a little bit. And I mean, I think we Charlie and I talked about it in our first episode uh, about that hunting trip, but it's, you don't experience that in rifle hunting, you know, and I mean, you can miss with an arrow and it's still pretty quiet. So yeah, you're going to bump those deer, but they're not probably going to go that far away, at least on the east side, and you can still keep pursuing. And so that's what I really liked about it. And the lack of people was the big one for me is just there were so many less people than in rifle season. Yeah. So, Well, do you like the rifle side of it for more of the nostalgic feeling? Because that's what you kind of grew up doing. Yeah, I grew up doing that. So that definitely feels more like a normal hunting trip but i'm you know i'm always open to new experiences too the season i like better during rifle season i like having those cold mornings and you know it's i just feel like it gets so hot in archery that like the midday hunting thing is kind of hard to do just because it's so physically taxing and i just feel like the animals are all bedded down and they're trying to escape the heat too so um rifle i think you get a little better weather opportunity yeah what about you dakota yeah, I like my favorite part about archery hunting is just the rut activity. It's so hard to beat, and it, it's tough to get that, you know, especially for blacktail during the rifle season, unless you have kind of a weird year and get it right towards the end. But then once bow season comes around, it's it's game on for me. Yeah. Um, um, as far as rifle hunting goes, you know, I'm definitely more successful when I have a rifle in my <laughs> hands, and it always goes back to the well, if I would have had a rifle, you know, but you don't, but. You know, you, you always compare it to that, but then you don't get that. You don't see those bucks w- during rifle season like you do archery season. You don't get those, that red activity and those opportunities, you know. So it, it, but it makes it that much more bittersweet when you finally are successful with a bow because there were so many missed opportunities, you know. Right. It just out of range or, you know, you just didn't stop or the angle wasn't right. The shot angle wasn't right. So that's definitely my favorite part. It's when you finally do punch your tag, it's... It's so cool. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. But, you know, with a rifle, it's it's great and all, but it's just different, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Like, with a rifle, like, your hunt can be over quick, where, like, with a bow, like, you have all these memories that, like, you'll never forget. Like, oh, yeah, like, I blew this stock because this happened. And, like, you learn so much. I feel like you learn so much more like about hunting and like about deer and like their behavior, like from bow hunting, because you have to do everything right in order to get that opportunity where with a rifle, like, Oh yeah, there's a deer like 300 yards away. has no idea that I'm even here. Oh, yep. There you go. Season's over. Yeah. We're like bow, like, I don't know. You have to watch where you're walking. You have to make sure the wind is right. Like everything has to fall into place, like almost perfect free to even get a shot and then once you take that shot you could you could still mess it up like oh i pulled that or i ranged it wrong or like anything like it's just i think just the whole experience pursuing those animals with a bow is just what really does it for me like 
just the learning learning curve of everything on it. Right. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit on the what Sam said about the season for um, rifle. Like, I love the cold mornings. I love getting up, especially in Eastern Oregon. Uh, like we were talking about with uh, my dad and Uncle Chris, uh, that fire being a million and a half degrees in that tent, and then walking out to my dad just getting a fresh pot of coffee going. I love that smell, that feeling. And then we were talking a little bit. It's just more of us go on these rifle hunts, and more people have tags. Like not everybody's into the archery thing. So when we come back and we're sitting around the fire and we have those stories to tell, of what everybody did that day, the deer they saw, the missed buck, or whatever the case was. But, um, like, the, well, like all you guys were saying about the um, archery thing, those little details stick with you way longer, I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Like, I could tell you almost every deer I missed with my bow, and it is a lot, <laughs> I will say. It's always the what-ifs, you know. What yeah. if I would have done this differently? What yeah. if I would have done that? Whereas, usually with a rifle, that what-if, you got usually the answer. Usually doesn't happen. Yeah. You yeah. usually filled your tag, you know. Yeah. Um, I do think with a rifle, um, you can probably extend your hunting experience longer as you get older. Because I think a lot of people, as they get older, it's harder to pull the bull back, or maybe they have some shoulder problems, and so I, I know, or elbow problems. I know a lot of people have to give up archery hunting just because of the physical strain, and uh, maybe you injured yourself in another way on your day job or whatever. Um, and so I've I've noticed a lot of the older crowd. They can they end up shifting, even if they were 100 percent archery, they shift to rifle as they get older. Yeah, um, I I don't think any of us in this room are really the purists that say we just like hunting. So like we're open to however we got to get it done. I think there are people though in the field that they only hunt archery or they only hunt rifle. Like they're not going to do both, and it's kind of I think it's kind of fun to do both. But at the same time, I understand why somebody would just be like, this is my thing, and I'm going to go all the way in on it. You know? Yeah. Well, it's just like for us with the rifle thing, though. I mean, that's just kind of what we've all done. Uh, you know, so like that nostalgic feeling of the whole family being there is just, it's hard to beat that. You know, it's our family reunion. Well, and my, my other cousin, Dylan, that lives on the east side, he uh, is almost strictly an archery hunter. And he has killed a couple animals with a, a rifle, but he just, he's like, it's boring. He's like, I go to the range. I've got, he's got, a, he shoots a 300 wind mag, I think. And he's like, it's easy. You know, I find the animal and I put the scope on it and it's over. Yeah. Whereas his archery season lasts a lot longer. He does a lot of scouting. He kind of really, usually he's the guy that's so prepared that opening morning, he knows where those animals are going to be. Right. So, well, I wish, I hope one day I can get that good to where it becomes boring. I think. <laughs> but, see, to go more into that, I, I could agree with that in a way because um, I've I've archery hunted for 10 years now and I've never killed a big buck with a bow. I've gotten close, but I've never killed a big buck. Now, two years ago, after, you know, Dylan and I started hunting together a little bit, I decided, okay, I'm going to get a rifle tag, kind of see what this is all about. The second morning of the rifle season, I killed my biggest buck ever. And... I definitely do feel that way, you know, like, oh, I, I saw, I saw him, he saw me, he took off running. I had a rifle. So, I mean, I killed, it, it was easy to me, but, um, but it's just not the same, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel the same when you, when you get one with a bow versus with a rifle, you know? Yeah. It was a mixed bag of emotions on those first bow kills. I feel like, oh yeah, it's just a whole different, 
yeah, it's different. Seeing the arrow fly, you're not hearing the big sounds. You're, you know, it's just different. It's weird. I don't even know how to describe it. I remember when you finally filled your tag not after, after all those misses, just the amount of emotions that were going through not only your body, but like us, because we had been there every single day with you with all of those misses. Like we were all <laughs> mostly gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> you finally like, got it. Finally. Done. <laughs> now, Dylan, we- was, that, was that your first year archery hunting? No, no, okay. no, that was so. How, how many years before? Oh, it was your sixth year. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, we had done it for a while, and I mean, never. Uh, yeah, it was just I was very successful early on with the rifle, you know, and I yeah. killed, I think, yeah, I think it was five deer, one mule deer, and four blacktail with my rifle. Then John got the bow, and then we just kind of took off from there. Um, but I hunted a few years with the bow and didn't kill it. Kill anything. Yeah, it's tough. The, sure. the other thing I like about the new setup, though, with the uh, preference points or drawing a archery tag, is now the guys that are out there hunting with the bow, that they want to be out there hunting with the bow, mm-hmm. and and you're taking them. I won't say out of the general season, but you are in a way by the way they've got it set up. So it's less competition for somebody that wants to do a general, you know, archery tag on this side. And then the guys that are out there with you, they're really focused on what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, back to those mixed emotions with when John was talking about mine. Um, yeah, like I passed up, I don't know, I bigger bucks than I ended up bringing home. But it was, it was time. We were there a long time, and I needed to fill a tag to come home. Like I, I needed that because we were two weeks is a long time to be out there in the ninety degree weather. But you guys have brought up this two week hunt a few times on the show, and it's kind of like your measuring stick for everything else because it was such an amazing trip. Oh yeah, yeah. I well, I cannot wait to do it again. Like I've been dreaming of that day where we can all get the time off of work and stuff and be able. to take a break from our families and go over and spend another two weeks doing that because I'm telling you right now that that was the most fun. Well, you guys will be 55. I'll be 70. And, uh, you know, we'll finally be able to take some time off work to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll push you around. Don't worry. We'll get you your wheelchair. So I've got a question for all of you guys. Um, Well, start with you if you want. Um, Tell me about the one that got away. Everyone has those stories. Are we talking about and archery or rifle or anything? It doesn't matter. Just the one that got away. Can I'm, I'm kind of curious. Can we have multiple? Yeah, 100%. The ones that got yeah, away? I have so many. I mean, I have the one that got away three different times, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. so that's your big four by six? Yeah. Five by six now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for me, uh, not the biggest buck that ever got away, because I've, I've seen... I've talked on here before about the these twin four points that I just watched through my scope. There's a big buck in my neighborhood that I like to see him, and I, I like to see him a lot, but I've always wanted to take a shot at him, but no. Um, and but, when he says neighborhood, he doesn't live in just a normal <laughs> neighborhood either. I want to make that very clear. Yeah, not, not a town buck, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, no, honestly, uh, for me, it's Blade. And so, uh, he's the one that got away. So I had, I had a rifle tag and, uh, these guys spotted this buck. Well, I had seen him opening morning. So this is late morning. We're on a secondary hunt and I took, I couldn't see the antlers right away. 
and I took kind of a poor shot on him. I think I fired two or three times. I think it was just uh, once when he went over. Yeah. And but then two more coming Two more up. as he was running. Yeah. Um, and th- so then I thought maybe my gun was off, so we went and put a hat on a tree, and I put two shots right in it. So I was like, okay, I don't think it's the gun. <laughs> so then I had actually seen him that evening and took a shot at him and actually hit him. And it was, uh, not, I thought, a mortal wound, and I was with Dylan's dad, uh, Jason. I mean, it was only like a maybe a 75-yard shot at most. And so I, I didn't put another shot in him, and Jason goes, yeah, put another shot in him, put him another shot in him, and I decided not to. I was like, no, he'll be dead on the other side of this hill, and we never could find him. And uh, then the next day he was out running around. So all I can figure is I, like, armpitted him and didn't hit anything, but – yeah, that he was the one that got away for me for sure. And that that deer had been through some stuff. Yeah, we, the Williams uh, family—that was yeah. a curse. <laughs> we always say he was a ghost or something. So, so tell me more about how you how you named him specifically. Blade. He he just had this really spindly, weird antler, almost like an elk, like a raghorn elk type antler. You know, it was just an odd looking, but it was wide, kind of just yeah, really yeah. spindly looking. Well, the it was probably. Off the top of his head, it was probably three inches to the start of his fork, and then it was like a brow tine. Like oh, it okay. came straight out over his eyes. And then his rack, though, went up probably two, three feet, and they almost touched at the top. It was insane. It was the weirdest-looking deer I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've noticed that with with usually the big ones or the one that got away, usually there is a name. And I always still and I always talk about the 6 by 4 because you know we're always talking about all these different bucks, but – I named that buck Chase because this will be the fourth year that I chased him, you know. Yeah. So. Um, well, then I'll say I'll throw Blade in the mix, too, because earlier this same year, John and I were doing um, another Eastern Oregon hunt with my dad. It might have been the same two-week trip. I don't even remember. I, I, uh, I got three shots at this thing with the bow, <laughs> three different shots, and just could not – I don't know what was going on. I was very calm. Yes, it oh, just even still makes me sick. Yeah, Blade. I mean, Blade was an elusive animal. I don't, we can't explain it. I I've never missed like I missed at him, and you know, even hitting him and thinking for sure I had him down, you know, and couldn't it's find. It's just him. crazy that it happened to the same family, different months, different, totally different seasons. Uh, but I saw it, that was my first one. Well, I'll just throw that in the mix as one that got away too because I still think about that buck quite a bit. But the one I think about the most was I had my own opportunity at one that was at least a six on its right side and four at least on the left. How, um, how many inches would you say that deer was probably? If you Honestly, had I couldn't even tell you. I was so worked up in this moment that – I, yeah, I couldn't tell you, but we were way up on the pass. It was me and my dad, last day of season. Um, and we always go super prepared. Like I was wearing Romeo's blue jeans, no rain <laughs> gear, nothing. Um, we didn't even have flashlights. We didn't have anything in case we got in trouble up there. So we, my dad spots this deer down in this bottom. Was this doe standing broadside, and it's you know, in the season. So we were expecting another buck to, or a buck to be with her. And my dad looks underneath this tree and he's like, man, that looks like a deer body, but it's so big. It could be that tree. I don't know. 
So we're looking at it forever. It's not moving. And um, he goes, well, walk down this uh, side of these tree line, get down to the bottom one, and you should be 50 yards from it. If it's a deer, sh- if it's a buck, shoot it. And I'm f- 14, maybe. Um, yeah, 14, yeah, 13. So. Yeah. And I walked to the edge of this tree line, and I was expecting just to look at a tree stump, you know. This doe's not even looking at me. It's still looking at my dad, just frozen, solid. And as I come around the corner, I just look over, and this just gray face is looking at me, dead in the eyes. And this big old black V, I knew for a 100% fact it was a buck, but I couldn't see horns because it was the brush was covered. And so I pick my gun up, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, that's a buck. I should just shoot it. And then I'm like, no, I, I got to see the horns first before I can make this decision. And it just turned its head slightly, and I saw the glisten of the horns move in the trees. And right as I clicked the safety off to start shooting, I saw the doe out of the corner of my eye run and stop right in front of this buck. And then I saw him stand up behind her, turn, and then walk around the edge of this pile of brush. And then the doe was trying to lead him away, but he shoved his nose right up her butt and kicked her right back out to the same spot. And as soon as he comes out, I just see the horns poke out of the tree. It was the biggest black tail I've ever seen in my life, probably I ever will see. Yeah. And it took one step out, and my dad, I just hear him, shoot that deer, you know, from 200 yards up the hill. And so I shoot, hit him really good. He curls up, kicks his back legs, turns, and he starts running kind of uphill, so I start side-hilling to meet him over there. Once again, I'm in Romeo's, and this hill is straight up and down, and it's just starting to snow. And it turns and it's hurt real bad and it starts walking downhill and it comes back out. My dad always told me, especially with the 243 that I was shooting, they don't, it doesn't, the animals don't bleed that much. If you don't hit hit a good bone or something, you're not going to get a lot of blood on the ground. And as soon as he popped back out, I went to go shoot him again and I slipped and fell down on my back. But I shot the, I shot the second shot probably 400 feet straight up in the air and I couldn't see when I fell what direction the deer went. So as my dad comes down to meet me, I was like, oh, I'm 100% positive this deer went that way. But he went to the right, and he probably died 70 yards to the right. This story still makes me so sick out of any story that I have. Um, so we walk for hours and hours and hours, pitch black, and we're using our phone flashlights. We're looking for blood or any sign or anything. And he goes, all right, well, it's too dark. We don't have what we need. So let's leave. We'll call John. We'll call your uncle and we'll come back tomorrow. and We'll find this deer. Next day we go. We looked for 10 hours. We looked for just forever to find this deer. And unfortunately a cougar got to him before we did drug him. I bet three ridges and, only thing we could find, we looked in this one section. We found this just giant chunk of hair laying on the ground, and that was the only thing that we could find of this deer. And it was the most sickening moment I've ever been. And I've gone back there after just to look for him still, trying to find just a piece of his body. But we couldn't. We never could find him. Hmm. It was the worst, but that was a bad one. And then I have a few Eastern Oregon ones, but I don't want to talk about those. <laughs> those were big. What about you, John? I think 
the one buck that I always remember that, I mean, it got away, but unfortunately it got away with another hunter that we saw. It was on when I drew my rifle tag over east. Uh, mm. Me and J-Dub had gone over there. We always go over there way before season and just kind of hang out. But we had seen the same uh, just deep, thick fork and horn buck in the same spot like every single day. And that's like my dream buck is just those giant fork and horns. Always wanted to shoot one. And I was like, yeah, that's the buck. Like I will shoot that opening day, have no problem with it. And opening day rolls around. And I think we kind of got like a late start or like we wanted to wait a little bit because that's when we had normally seen him out there. We want to hunt our way in. Yeah. And so on our way in, we're getting close to where we had normally seen it. And we see this side by side coming, our, uh, you know, coming towards us. And so we pull over and sure enough, in the back of that side by side was that buck that we had seen every single day that like that was my target buck the one i wanted to shoot and there it was just laying there i'm like oh you've got to be kidding me and after that i was just like how, he, how big would you say that buck was honestly like it was just so thick like it looked like like as thick as like a can you know and then just super just like jet black horns and like size wise like tall wise like wasn't very tall but it was wide and just like thick like all the way up like it was it was unreal. I mean, when I had first seen it, I was like amazed. I was like, "Yeah, that's that's it. Like that's my buck." And those big old reverted forks yeah. are cool. They are they are so cool. I, I'm an advocate to push for three pointer better in some of these units just to get the buck size up and not shoot the little bucks because the little forks or the little spikes, you know, let them get a little more mature. Give them another year out there. It's going to be a lot better animal. So I, I am an advocate for three pointer better. But then you see one of those old reverted forks, and you're like, yeah, but I would really like to shoot that guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. But that's probably an old deer that's past his prime, you know? But it'd be cool, though, like, with the three-pointer better, I think that's just three visible points. If you could pin an eye guard on that thing, I'm pretty sure that counts as a point, right? Uh, we'd have to get an ODF and W guy in here. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that one. but yeah, That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah. No, that's uh, those ones that could get away really haunt you. Yeah. I think about Blade all the time. Yeah, thanks for ruining our day, Dakota, with I'm that sorry. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Bring the it, mood down. It ruins my day to think about to think about Chase again, too. But You're going to find him, though. It sounds like he's still out there. Well, I talked to the surrounding neighbor. Um, they're not hunters. It's an older couple. And um, she had mentioned that buck to me. She, she, oh, do you hunt this and that? And I said, yeah, and there's one, one that I'm after. And uh, she said specifically, oh, the big one. And I said, well, how big is he? And she goes, well, he's a six by five. And I said, no, he's actually a six by four. And then she said, well, last year he was a six by four, but this year he's a six by five. So I know we got to be talking about the same buck. You know? Yeah. Um, Chase. Hopefully he's still out there. Um, hopefully we can have you come on and you can tell us about your success getting Chase. Yeah. Because I think Blade would be about 32 by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably not still out there. <laughs> Well, you guys always try to tell me that, oh, he's out here somewhere every year. Yeah, he's a mythical creature. He couldn't he be is. killed by arrow or bullet. So. Well, I hope we find maybe an offspring of him somewhere yeah, someday. at least those genetics should be out there. They should be. So, yeah. I mean, if he was still alive, like he'd be, he'd be looking like every bull elk out there at this point. <laughs> he's still kicking. Yeah. Well, and his descendants might have similarities, but they'll probably never be like him. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for really bringing us down then, huh? Thanks for just crushing all of our dreams. Hey, Dakota's a realist. He's just keeping it real. Yeah. You know, he wants to keep us in check. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Uh, to go more into, you had asked earlier about, um, you know, specifically in the San Diego unit for archery, it's a hair tag for the first and the second season. That's what prevented me from potentially killing Chase one year because I had hunted so hard first season every single day I burned myself out so the first day of second season I was hunting with my girlfriend I said you know what the first year I see buck doe doesn't matter what it is I'm just gonna fill my tag so I had shot a doe filled the freezer I mean I can't complain about it you know punch my tag and then over the next three days I proceeded to call in seven different bucks for my girlfriend and he was one of them and she was full drawing them two different times and uh she had told me she goes, yeah, I don't want to shoot over 40 yards. I said, that's fine. You don't have to. And Chase came out chasing a doe. And I ranged him, stopped him. I said, he's 43. And she goes, no, he's too far. Oh, man. <laughs> and I said, I said, put your 40 at the top of his back and just let it rip. And then, you know, he went a little farther and ranged him again. It's like, man, if I had my bow, if I had my bow, I probably could have got it done, you know. At the same time, that would have been a little bittersweet if you weren't the one releasing the arrow, wouldn't it? No, I was I was actually more excited for her because she had never killed a deer before. So for your first one to be potentially a 140-inch blacktail, I mean, probably never beat that, you know. But Well, we'll keep dreaming about those ones, that's for sure. That's what keeps us in the game, you know? Yeah, it does. It sure does. And I've been fortunate enough to – Dakota's took me up there a couple times. We've even chased after him for rifle. Yeah, and we actually haven't had much luck, you know. No, I every, seen every a time deer I bring there, you, I think you're messing it up. Well, it, it's like two years ago when I had my rifle tag, I had killed that really nice three point, and every time I took two other buddies, we saw we saw bucks, you know, mm-hmm. like small bucks, you know. They were passing some up. Every time you went, for some reason, you know, we just never could get it done. I think it's a smell, kind of like an odor thing. Maybe. It yeah. could be an odor, for yeah. sure. Um, it could be strong Dylan odor. goes up there after work, blue jeans, Carhartt sweatshirt, no camo, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm always super prepared for the outdoors. That's what they call me. <laughs> so what do you guys think, as far as, I mean, it'll be different rifle hunting in our training, but what do you guys think, you know, as far as, is camo necessary or, or let's, let's, I feel like we should get into that a little bit. Well, we, Sam and I were just talking about this uh, a couple of days ago, but because I mean, how I was raised and what I saw, and you could see them in these photo albums, there's a lot of red flannels and a lot of blue jeans yeah. and their success rates, no different, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I'd imagine in bow hunting there, it helps break up their pattern you're hidden a little bit more. I get that side of things, but for me, rifle hunting, I don't know if it's that important. Yeah. No, bow hunting, I think it 100% matters. I think rifle hunting, no, because we always wore red and then it went to hunter's orange because, you yeah. number one, you don't want to get shot by another hunter. That's yeah. back to that. There's too many people out there during rifle season. I'd rather be wearing something bright so that somebody doesn't mistake me and I don't want to be that obscure statistic of getting shot during rifle season. Um, but I do think archery, if you're going to especially spot and stock type of scenario, having that camouflage and breaking you up. I've got one buddy who always hunted in Alaska and he just swears by natural colors. Right. So he'll, he'll wear blacks, browns, greens, not necessarily camo, but just more natural colors. Right. And that's enough to break it up. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I've done some bow hunting with without camo. Now, does it are those moments that I'm still stalking those deer? Was it any different than when I was wearing camo? Probably not. But like, if you're gonna do like the sitting down and you're gonna pick a spot that you know deer are coming, I definitely think you need to put something on that's gonna hide you a little bit more. But like we've gone on plenty of stocks where we weren't wearing the camo and we got just as close as we when we were wearing camo. Right. I think they smell you first too. Because yeah, I mean, when my brother and I, I just shared this story with Dylan, but we were on this group of deer and we were kind of laid behind a tree in camo and they were feeding right towards us, coming right at us. And then maybe the wind changed or something. And then that head doe popped her head up and she couldn't see us, but we knew she knew we were there. So we were just holding still. And eventually she was direct eye contact with us and we were in full camo and hadn't moved. So do you believe in, you believe in scent control too? I think so. I think it makes a difference. I mean, I've never used it personally, but I think it probably matters. What about you? I know your grandpa was a big flannel jean wearing guy. So yeah, if you, like you said, go back to the photo albums, he's always in a red or a green flannel behind plenty of big bulls, plenty of nice bucks, and it never mattered to him. Now, two years ago, when we went archery hunting, he was 100%. We need camo. Got to have camo. So I, had to go, I actually had to go buy him camo clothes because he, didn't have, he doesn't own any. Yeah. Um, he does believe in scent control, but he doesn't believe that cigarette smoke makes a difference, which I'm a firm believer in now, actually. Um, I'm pretty sure he was actually smoking when I killed my bull. Well, they got to smell smoke all the time with over there with all the fires. But one time in particular where scent control, I think, really, I re- it really kickstarted me is um, like three years ago probably. Um, I was actually hunting at Bob's place, and it was first season archery. And I'd sp- I was wearing camo, sprayed down with scent control, and I was walking right down the middle of this dirt road. And I had seen a deer come around the corner. It was just a small fawn. And it kind of looked at me and turned its head and, and then looked at me more. And then it starts trotting right towards me. And I'm like, no, this can't be real. So I, li- I actually pulled my phone out, and I have a video on my phone. This fawn gets maybe five feet away from me, six feet away from me. I don't know. It was close. And it kind of, like, reached out, sniffed at me, but it couldn't tell what I was. So after that moment, I was like, yeah, it makes a difference, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was a fluke deal. I don't know. But after that, I was like, yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. I got one more just quick story about when John was talking about how we can't sit in one place for very long. John made this ground blind out of burlap sacks. And uh, it was like an old tent frame, I think. And <laughs> so we crawl into this thing. We're at my parents' place. Don't have a range finder. We're sitting there. It's before daylight, obviously. And um, here comes, just like Dakota saying, these three does just walk in. And I'm talking rubbed up against maybe it helped them itch their sides or something i don't know but it rubbed up against the side of the tent and we were laughing so <laughs> hard inside there and i've no they didn't even give a, a single crap of what we were doing they were so, standing right there they looked inside the window <laughs> like i could have pinched its nose yeah so were you guys wearing scent control that day no no uh-uh. i don't know if there was the amount of Spray paint, John used <laughs> might have covered our smell. Maybe I don't know. That was early on in our days. But yeah, we saw those deer first thing, and as soon as they left, I think you had a little your little twenty two with did, you. Yeah. As soon as the deer left, 
Dylan just started shooting squirrels out of the trees. They were falling on top of the thing. We're like, oh, yep, there goes our deer, you know, luck. But yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing about the camo, though, that three-quarter zip, you know, it's kind of a fashion icon around yeah. the archery camp. You, you got to be, you know, that's all you got to have on. You got to no, sh- no shirts. Yeah, have that zipper low enough to where you got a little chest hair coming out. It, yeah. it doesn't really feel like an archery camp without that. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and our chest hair obviously acts as, you know, acts a little bit like camo, yeah. darkens it up. Luxurious chest hair. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, we all I have got. three gray ones now. So. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, you're old. Started yeah. with one. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, what do you think? We ought to get get on to whatever we got to do the rest of today? I think so, probably. I have one more question for you guys. Okay, we'll do this first. Just real quick. Yeah, let's do it. So after after talking about what we have today, have you guys kind of decided what you want to do this year for hunting? As far as, have you guys applied for tags? You guys going to archery hunt, rifle hunt? I have no idea. I like to wait till the last minute. Yeah. Um, it's true. So I you didn't you didn't apply for any tags? Not yet. Yeah. Well, I drew a spring bear tag, which started today, but I'm here doing this podcast instead of hunting. Yeah, stay April committed. April Fool's Day, buddy. Stay yeah. committed. Um, I haven't put in for tags yet, but I'm actually that's my plan for today is putting in for tags. And yeah, I'm going to be rifle hunting. Yeah, for sure. So you're going to take advantage of the later rifle season for blacktail. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I might bow hunt for elk. I, I haven't really decided yet on that. We have a few trips planned, and then um, my dad's going to be putting in, and Uncle Chris are going to be putting in for uh, a muzzleloader tag over there, which they have very good odds of getting. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to get another week to go over east to elk hunt yet. Yeah, and I, I'll draw my rifle tag this year. Um, and so I'll definitely be rifle hunting for deer. And then I bought an elk point, um, cause I just didn't want to do two big hunts, but I'm going to get an over the counter, um, archery elk tag. Yeah. And you know, those will probably be the two things I go after this year. Right on. Cool. How about you Dakota? This year I'm actually planning, I'm hoping to draw the Imnaha unit for a rifle elk tag. If I don't draw, I'm actually going to buy an over the counter spike tag for that unit. Because you can do that. For a rifle? For rifle. And then I'm also going to take advantage of the later rifle season this year because I have a feeling that it could be super good, especially oh, yeah. in those higher elevations, yeah. for sure. I mean, at least just seeing more deer, you know? Like, you're going to see a lot of deer. It's just, I'm sure you're, I know a lot of people are probably going to, you know, take the opportunity when it's presented of one of those spikes that stand on the side of the road or tiny fork and horns, but... um we kind of have a pack going that we're going to hold out for what we can this year. And uh, especially with this later season, give us more opportunity and hopefully come up with a nice one. Well, and now it's nice because the season is five weeks long straight. There's no breaks in it. So you have a lot of time, you know, you have, I think I can't remember if it's four weekends or I think it's five weekends total. So that gives you a lot of time. This could be the year you have Chase's antlers in your hands. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be looking for Blade. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to keep looking. That's the one you're holding out on. Well, guys, keep dreaming about the ones that got away. Yep, we'll do. All right. Thanks, Sam.